Hey, good morning, everybody in the room. Hello. Everybody tuning in to the live stream. We're glad that you're joining us. Uh, please let us know that you were here. Participate in the chat. We're going to do some uh, chatting in this room as well. So uh, big thing this week is uh, we've sent two years in a row now, sent two teams to Kenya, and we have people who regularly participate in uh, some disciple-making movements, training and uh, prayer every week on Wednesday mornings uh, with uh, an organization called Lifeway Missions International that's based in Kenya that was founded by a man named Dr. Isla Tassi and uh, he is, he's coming here. He's coming to central Wisconsin tomorrow. He wants to meet you. So we have opportunities to get together. We're going to have an open house in this building, in our ministry center, starting at 4.30 on Tuesday. It's a drop-in anytime. We're going to have sub sandwiches here, so you don't have to worry about running home and making a meal before you get here. Drop in, stop in, and uh, and we're going to go for... Uh, a few hours uh, into the evening, spending some time with, with Dr. Isla. And um, Wednesday from 11 to 1, we'll be in this building in the ministry center uh, over that lunch hour. And we'll have friends here from uh, on both Tuesday and Wednesday coming from different parts of the state because uh, a lot of people know that Dr. Isla coming to town is, uh, is an opportunity they don't want to miss. So if they're coming from Milwaukee, we'd love for you to come from Rothschild, right? Um, I know that it's, uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to decide on something like that when, like, who is this? Uh, wh what's it going to be like? So we're going to take some time this morning to watch a video that... Uh, I just uh, just got recently that is a great introduction to who Dr. Isla is, and also Dr. Isla in the video goes through some of the steps in seeing a disciple-making movement happen. Uh, so really good video. Um, it's not a three-minute video. It's not a five-minute video. It's a 12-minute video. Um, and I like, what? Um, don't pretend like you don't sit down and watch a screen for more than 12 minutes um, a couple times a week. So um, we're going to get an introduction. And I really think after um, seeing this video, you'll have a better idea of who Dr. Isla is and how you might want to... Um, have uh, be, be part of a conversation. Ask him some questions. Um, that's what he's coming for. So enjoy this video, and then I'll catch back up with you in about 12 minutes. as a Muslim, 
For me, growing up was going to the mosque. I would hear the teacher talk so much about faith. I developed this passion for wanting to know more about God. As much as I committed myself, the question I had was not answered inside me. And I struggled with that. Who am I worshiping? Who is Allah? It was at that time, a teacher was sent to our school. And Mr. Francis, he wrote on the board, my name is Francis and I'm a born again Christian. We started making fun of him, born again. How many times were you born? We knew Christians means infidel. That's what I grew up with. At that time, in that school, there was an outbreak. I had cerebral malaria that had affected my brain, and that was fatal. If you need any treatment, you have to go two days by road, and there were no vehicles. So simply, when you get sick, you wait to die. So this Francis came to the hospital. He came in with a piece of bread and a milk. And I was surprised that this, of all the people, this is the guy who is coming to visit me. He's an infidel. Just before he left, he said, your sins can be forgiven. Now for the first time I'm hearing sins can be forgiven. At this point that I'm desperate, needing so much forgiveness because I'm not going to make it in my life. I told him, I don't want to be a Christian. But he says, you don't have to be a Christian for your sins to be forgiven. Just believe in me. So I pray simply, forgive me. I felt kind of a burden left me, so I'm a different person. I didn't exactly know what it was, but it was so clear that something happened that I couldn't describe. The symptoms of cerebral malaria was going away. Then I got discharged. I didn't die in the hospital. So I went back home. For nine months I continued going to the mosque because of the fear. I knew all the things that will happen to me if they find out. I went secretly to a small fellowship where the Christians uh, were meeting on Fridays. And there was somebody who knew my dad. He was so excited, he said, your son visited us. And my dad believed, like, not my son. Then my dad confronted me, asked me, I heard about this. Is it true? I couldn't lie. I had made my decision. It's nine months since I started following Jesus. I couldn't cross that line back. I told him I did not become a Christian, but I had my sins forgiven. My dad brought all the family members and the neighbors and said, okay, you have denied your faith. You've denied us. Today, I'm going to hold a funeral for you. You cannot have my name. You are dead to us. I was only 14 years old at that time. And so I left. I didn't carry in my Bible, I didn't carry in my clothes. So that's how I left home. I started staying with a, a pastor. 
While I was there, I started praying. This one day, I just told God, I want to have an appointment with you. I went into the forest and I sat under the tree. The moment I sat down and I told God I'm here and I closed my eyes to pray, the whole surrounding around me started changing. I got so scared, I literally felt the presence of God. I started seeing vision. I found myself in the middle of the desert. I had a voice asking me, can cabbage grow in this place? The desert, nothing grows. It's only rock, but I saw cabbages. In between the rocks coming up, there then I heard a voice. This word from Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things. I will do new things. I will cause the rivers to flow in the desert. To me, that's what I describe today, a burning bush experience. As a week continues and I started praying, God opened my eyes. There lived 14 tribes in the category of unreached people groups out of the 26 in Kenya. And I felt God was calling me. And these people are God's cabbages in the desert. And the rivers is the word of God. And so I start having a small Bible study or a fellowship. And so a church was born out of that. And people started asking me, what are you? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. So we said, we are the people of the way. We teach the truth because Jesus gives life. And so when we put together, it's called Lifeway. Lifeway International is a African indigenous ministry that catalyzes disciple-making movement among the unreached people groups. Lifeway has a process of making disciples. Everything else comes out of that. Prior to engagement, we send people out to do prayer walks, get to know the information about the place. We have teams that are based in so many places. We are sending teams and training and encouraging. Mostly in life where we respond to needs. For life we mission, we said it is loving your neighbor. We don't come there as a Christian. We come there as a friend. Just sit with them, ask them some questions. What are the challenges that you're going through? How can we solve these challenges together? What do you think we can do? We respond to the needs. If one of your family members is hurting, you cannot just go and tell them, God bless you and pray and God will take care of you. But you also leave something. And they remember, they came to see us and they came to love us. Through loving our neighbor, the next thing is we find responsive people and we call them the persons of peace. Persons of peace are people that open the doors for you to engage with the people. They welcome you in. When we go to some communities, they have been taught in Muslim, don't listen to Christians. But when you come to the community knowing you have somebody around you that they know, it's very easy for them to listen to you. Through those God-led leaders, 
we started Bible study with them and their friends and people in their relationship. We just open the scriptures and start looking together and allow God to speak to us. When you, you discuss like that, it impacts your life. It sticks in you. Then what you hear from, just somebody tells you, this is what you do. So this group grows and the group start doing the functions of the church. Then we start identifying other people who have a leadership gifts from the group. And then you continue to coach and mentor them. And the process continues. When we talk about church, the description that are given are models of mega church, whatever church, those doesn't fit in many other contexts. There's so much traditions in the church that are not reproducible in so many contexts. People have not rejected Christ. They have rejected Christianity. In the past, church planting are done by professionals. And planting a church means buildings. Among the rich people groups, these are methods that doesn't work. But when you talk about disciple making, followers of Jesus, people love that. When you start helping ordinary people to learn simple principles of the scriptures, obey and go and do the same, they do it and that's why it has become viral. Now, people are meeting under the tree, people are meeting in homes, people are meeting all kinds of places. All of a sudden, right in the middle of the desert, you have people singing and praising and worshiping God. There are churches in that desert that was not there many years ago. Today, we don't have one single unengaged people groups in Northern Kenya. We are in 18 countries, and it's not only in Africa now, like we have engaged globally. This is really God's amazing work. This is God's coverages in the desert. And God is faithful to fulfill what he calls us to do. Until Jesus comes, the work of making disciples continues. Okay, what time is Dr. Isla going to be here on Tuesday? 4.30. What about Wednesday? When does that start? 11. Yeah. Uh, man. I, we have people in this room who, like, when you watch that video, uh, yeah, goosebumps. Like, we've, 
we've worshipped with these uh, in, in these in these villages. We've seen we've go, we we've gone one year and then come back the next year and uh, m go to a village that the year before had never heard the name of Jesus, and a year later we're worshiping to, together with them. Um, uh, come and ask questions, because I know Marathon County is not northern Kenya. We have a very different context. And yet, if you were to take some time and think about in what ways is Marathon County a desert? And in what ways do we have spiritually hard ground in our own community, uh, and do we believe in a God who will make streams in the desert, who will soften ground? Um, get around, Dr. Isla. Uh, you'll, you'll be glad you did. Um, he talked about being in, in school. Um, for some of you, you got goosebumps about that because you're so excited to get back to school. Is anybody in here 14 years old? Do we have any 14-year-olds? Any 14, 14? No. Yes? Okay. Um, so uh, imagine Noah being told, okay, now you're on your own. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, Anyway, you excited to get back to school? Yes. Good. That's what I like to hear. Uh, back to school, sales, back to school, ads, but we know that we never stop learning. And one of the most effective ways to learn is to follow in the footsteps of a master, someone who has done what you want to do to a level of excellence. So Dr. Isle is a master at making disciples, at developing leaders, at catalyzing movements. Uh, my friend uh, Kelly Berger is a master at installing floors. Um, and uh, he came to my house and he did that and he taught me how to pull up carpet at my house. I know that doesn't seem as monumental as catalyzing disciple-making movements, um, however, for me, it, it provides a good illustration because um, last weekend, uh, our friend Gwen, uh, her family bought a, uh, bought a new house that's a, a better fit for their family, and they were looking for help in, uh, before they move into the new house in pulling everything together. And Gwen's been a big help to my family, and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. So uh, I, I went there, and one of the jobs was to pull up carpet. Well, Kelly has been at my house. Kelly, the master flooring installer who put this carpet in, in this room, um, has been to my house and helped me tear up carpet and taught me some things. So I was able to go into Gwen's house and look at the carpet and do what Kelly taught me, just like little things, like um, instead of rolling up the whole entire carpet as one big piece, cut it into like three-foot strips that you could easily roll up and put in your own garbage can instead of taking a special trip to the landfill. Ding! That's the kind of trick that a master learns when they do it uh, over and over again. So I did that at Gwen's house, and not only did I do that, um, and, and I'm not looking for 
pats on the on the back about uh, about that. Like I said, she's helped me a lot. Uh, my son Missaker came there and was in the room with me, and I was able to show him some of the things that Kelly had taught me about pulling up staples. Uh, so we worked on that room, and I taught Missaker what Kelly had taught me, and it it would have been easy for me to not do that and just say you go do something else, I've got this. That's not what I did, though. I took time to show Missaker what had been taught to me, and the room that we worked on, I think we we got a picture of it, uh, where we pulled up the carpet. Yeah, right? So there's this beautiful hardwood floor underneath um, that, that she was able to enjoy. Now, I got to a certain point where I had to leave. And at the same time I was leaving, Jacqueline was arriving. And there was another bedroom that needed the carpet pulled up. It would have been a lot easier for me to just leave and say, do whatever you want to do, Jacqueline. However, Jacqueline was interested in this carpet thing, and she was willing to learn. So I took a little while and showed her some things that Kelly had taught me and got her started on pulling up the carpet. And I said to Miss Akur, Jacqueline's working on that room. It'd be nice if maybe you could help out with some of the new skills that you have. So they, even though I had to leave, they stayed and they took care of that room. So Kelly was willing to teach me. So I was able to teach Miss Akur, And Miss Akur was able to work alongside Jacqueline and get more done. I, I think it's a a good illustration of discipleship and the Christian life and, and how we see learning happen in, in the New Testament. Uh, because disciples of Jesus, what we see in the New Testament is they teach others who then teach others by their words and their actions, by their life. And uh, I'm just going to focus in on a particular passage of Scripture. You see, if you're here, you're seeing me go, like, move pages over. Yeah. So, and if you're, Rachel putting up verses, Heidi putting up, we're just skipping a bunch. And we're jumping to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We've got this guy, Paul, who is a, a master, and he's taken under his wing a number of different people along the way. He has taken time to learn from people who spent time with Jesus, and now he is taking what he learned from trustworthy sources, and he's passing it on to others. And one of the people that he passes it on to is Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, he says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Now, if we look at this passage in terms of spiritual generations, if Paul is the first generation, how many generations do we see here? If Paul is the first, and then he's passing it on to Timothy is the second, and then he's saying, teach these truths to others, a third generation, who will be able to pass them on to others. 
a fourth generation. Now, in that video, it talked about movements, um, how many movements have been catalyzed. And I don't remember what the number was. It was somewhere around 50, was it 45? Did anybody? 47. Um, the definition of a movement uh, that, 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 that they're using in this video is that there would be at least 100 groups of people gathering around God's word to live as obedient discipleships, at least a hundred, and at least four generations deep. So it's not just Dr. Isla starting a hundred churches, it's Dr. Isla passing on to someone what they pass on to someone else, they pass on to someone else, they pass on to someone else. By the time you get four generations deep, you have started something that you couldn't stop even if you tried because it's out of your control. And this is what we tend to see in Scripture. When the Holy Spirit starts something and we do things God's way and God's timing, it gets passed on from generation to generation, and it's not under our control. This is how we can begin to imagine a disciple-making movement. Now, not all of us are going to become content experts or debaters or preachers. Dr. Eiler talked in the video about, you know, we typically think of like professional pastors starting churches. All of us, though, can teach others by the way we learn and obey Scripture, the example set by our lives. So like, imagine if God blessed you with seven neighbors who wanted to know more about Jesus and they saw you wearing a shirt that says God has left the building. So they think, here's somebody who can tell me about Jesus. If you had seven neighbors come to you at different points during a week saying, I'm really curious about Jesus and you seem to know something, can you teach me? Can you tell me? What would you do? Uh, some people have been learning about what to do or what that can look like to say, well, uh, I can show you what it looks like to open God's word and see what he has to say about life because that's what I do. I'll just show you what I do. If you said to them, well, I can introduce you to a guy who can tell you all about that and you brought them to me, what I would want to do is coach you in showing them how to meet the real Jesus, by gathering around God's word in order to do God's will. After all, you're the one with the relational connection there, not me. Now, I know I'm making it sound easier than it actually is. Um, I've made reference to a, a story, an example, that I, I'm just going to... Um, kind of retell a little bit more. Um, it's an example that uh, is, is, is real life and that um, a couple of months ago I shared with uh, some pastors that I had planned on doing this and um, at least one of them got really bent out of shape about it. Like, this isn't the easy way. However, it's 
what looks to me like what Jesus did and what his closest followers did. So um, Christy, who some of you know, has been discipling her neighbor Mai for years. And Mai started asking Christy about baptism. And then they brought me into the conversation. And three couples gathered around a table, the Bussies and us and uh, Mai and Z. And, and we shared a meal. And then we opened God's word. And we read about baptism. And one of the things that we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul saying, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For, for now, no one can say they were baptized in my name. And I asked the question, why do you think Paul was glad that he didn't baptize them? And we had a discussion about that. So when Mai said, Pastor Aaron, I, I think I'd like to get baptized, and I'm wondering if you would do that, it would, the easy answer would be, yes, I'm so honored. Yes, yes, I'll do that, definitely. Instead, what I did was I said, I feel so honored. Thank you for asking. And yes, I could do that. However, Jesus gave the command to his disciples, ordinary people, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching those new disciples to obey everything he commanded. Is Christy a disciple of Jesus? Yeah, she is. Has Jesus instructed her to make disciples? Yeah. Has she done that? Yeah. Has Jesus instructed her to baptize? This is where people can get bent out of shape. I think so. And he's instructed her to teach Mai to obey all the instructions of Jesus. So Mai is prepared to, and she will this month, publicly professing her inward faith in Jesus and her commitment to follow him. So then, is Mai a disciple of Jesus? Yes. Has Jesus instructed her to make disciples? Yes. When she does that, who does Jesus say should baptize and teach these new disciples? It seems like the disciple maker should. Doesn't it? But she hasn't been to seminary or been trained in the pastorly arts. She doesn't know the theological arguments around predestination versus free will and egalitarianism versus complementarianism and consubstantiation versus transubstantiation in the Eucharist. She's an ordinary person. And if I want to see a movement of God, I need to get out of the way of the ordinary people God is calling. I need to equip Christy for her ministry so that she can equip my, in a way that my can equip others. This is not the easiest way. It is 
from what I see in Scripture, the way Jesus launched his church. It is the way Paul and the other apostles followed the Holy Spirit into turning a local church into a worldwide movement. It's the way that hundreds of thousands of people in East Africa have become obedient disciples of Jesus who make more disciples. So yes, keep coming here to learn on Sunday mornings and to apply what you're learning. And also remember that disciples of Jesus take what they learn and then teach others who teach others by their words and action. So my would be a third generation is the, is the question that, that was asked here. And, and, and I, I, think, I think so. I think that's what that looks like. 2 Timothy 2, 2. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let's take some time for quiet reflection. Let's practice that pattern of reflection, application, and discussion right now. And I want you to think about, did, did God, is, is God bringing anyone to your mind? Because we've been asking some questions pretty regularly on Sunday mornings. When you hear a teaching, it's not just about what God taught me. The question is, what is God teaching you? What is God teaching you? That's something to consider during these next few minutes where we have some quiet reflection. What is God teaching you? And what are you willing to do about it is the next question that we've kind of gotten used to. And the answer to that should start with two words, I will, some act of obedience. The question that we have shied away from up to this point, and partly because I know I grew up in this culture, I know that this freaks me out to some extent. We've got to go there at some point, though. The question, the next question to ask is, who are you willing to share this with? What's God teaching you? What are you willing to do about it? Who are you willing to share this with? So if God is bringing someone to mind right now, that may be from him. Your I will statement may include contact with someone. So we're going to take a few minutes to uh, reflect right now, and then we're going to reconnect and have a conversation. Let me pray as we go into this time of reflection. God, thank you for, for being a God who loved the world so much that you gave your son so that instead of being stuck in our rebellion against you, God, instead of perishing apart from you, you do offer forgiveness. You do offer a right relationship with you through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for caring so much about people who haven't even heard the name of Jesus, that you have sent people, sent people to share the message that Dr. Isla heard. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be made right with God the Creator. 
the God who loves you. I pray, God, that we would each receive that today, that love from you expressed through Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would have the compassion of Jesus Christ, the love for people that you have, and that we would be willing to let that love overflow to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our enemies. For your glory, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Take some time to reflect. I hope you were able to, uh, to make a statement uh, about what you feel like God is leading you to do this week uh, that you can share in a, a discussion with the people you're comfortable with, who you're already in relationship, who are sitting at a table with you. We're going to give you a few minutes to, uh, to, to do that, uh, to share what God is teaching you, what you're willing to do about it, and, and if there's someone who you feel led to share with outside of this room. So take some time to discuss. If you're participating in the chat, we want to hear from you as well. Uh, and uh, just continue to share beyond the walls of this building what God is teaching us and what we're going to do about it. So 
do that now, and I'm looking forward to seeing as many of you as I can this week and introducing you to, uh, to my friend, Dr. Isla. So we'll catch up with you later this week.